low win rates, excessive discounting, challenging negotiations. Welcome to the Sales Readiness Podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Sales Readiness Group. We're an industry-leading sales training company that helps businesses develop highly effective sales organizations. This podcast is about one question, how to transform your team into big performers. If you want the answer, keep listening. If you want it faster, visit salesreadinessgroup.com slash podcast. We have Ray Makla. He's the CEO at the Sales Readiness Group. And uh, in the panel, we have Carrie Conyer. Uh, she's the Vice President of Sales Excellence at ABM Industries. And we have Joy Reese. Uh, is that how you say your last name, Reese. Joy? It's Reese, Reese, but that's close enough. There you go, Reese. Joy Reese, uh, she sells education and communication at Edwards Life Sciences. Uh, with that, Ray, I'll let you take it from here. All right, Alonzo, thanks for getting us kicked off and welcome everyone. Uh, again, this is Ray Makala from Sales Readiness Group and just thrilled with uh, our panel today, as well as the audience and the interest we've had in this event. Obviously, virtual is a topic uh, that's, I think, on a lot of people's minds. And we are so fortunate to have two of our longtime clients that we've had the opportunity to work with uh, and deliver virtual training. So I think this is going to be a really interesting and engaging discussion. And as Alonzo said, we really encourage participation from the audience today as well. So we'll be doing our best to man monitor the chat and, and the Q&A and also leave time at the end uh, for your questions and either uh, group source those and answer them from the group uh, or from our panel Uh, or take them away for, for further uh, research if, if, uh, if required. So again, Carrie and Joy, thank you so much for joining. And maybe we could just start uh, by having you introduce your, yourself a, a little bit further and a little bit about your company. I think it's good to have the context and we have a good cross-section here. But Carrie, uh, welcome. Thanks for joining us. And maybe you can say a little bit about you and your company. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Ray. Um, well, I'm with ABM Industries. I've been with them for about three years. And we're a leader in the facility services space. So things like janitorial services and HVAC and mechanical and engineering and parking, electrical, lighting, all of that stuff, um, ABM does and does so incredibly well. And for them, I have the privilege of leading what we call our sales excellence team, which is really focused on bringing the sales enablement and sales operations to our, to our sales force. Outstanding. Well, again, thank you. And uh, thanks for the opportunity to work with you. And especially during these challenging times, I know ABM has some unique offerings, uh, especially around <laughs> sanitation and sterilization and things that you're doing that uh, are, are really uh, more important than ever these days. Absolutely. We're, we're a key part in getting, um, getting the country back to work. So thanks for that, Ray. Outstanding. And Joy, welcome. And again, thank you for, for joining us. Maybe you could say a little bit about your role uh, and company at Edwards. Sure. Thanks so much. Um, thank you first for having me. I am thrilled to be here and to learn from everyone else on the call as well. Um, I lead sales training for Edwards Life Sciences transcatheter valve business. It's sort of a new and niche uh, medical device. So we have our own unique challenges and uh, strengths when it comes to sales. Um, we're the global leader in patient-focused medical innovations, mostly around the heart. Um, and my team includes a few hundred salespeople and clinical specialists, as well as an in-house support team. Outstanding. Well, and again, really interesting to look at two completely different industries, but uh, approaching some of the same challenges and, uh, and delivering training in, in some of the same ways. So 
look forward to getting into more of that. Um, in terms of our agenda today, what we want to do is really talk about kind of the drive to move to virtual as a starting point, and then some of the things that seemed to be really important themes, both from our clients and in, in discussions with Carrie and Joy, around getting the right sponsorship and communication for an initiative like this, engaging the learner, which is often a question and concern that we hear from clients about, hey, is this just going to be another webinar and how do we really keep them engaged? So uh, look forward to diving into that. We're going to talk a little bit about how do you measure outcomes and success and what does that really look like and then save some time for questions and answers. So that's kind of where we're headed with this to start with. And what we'd like to do um, is get some input from the group just to start off with. And so we're going to have two polls here, kind of a before and after. What we'd like to do is get your input uh, kind of prior to COVID. So if we're thinking back, if we can remember back that far before March <laughs> um, and, you know, previous years, um, love to understand, and I'll open up the poll here, what training looked like for you. So I'm going to launch this. And if you could just click on, you know, were you doing primary instructor-led training in the classroom? Were you doing virtual instructor-led, so VILT? Uh, were you doing e-learning and on-demand? So, you know, typically video, maybe micro-learning type nuggets. Um, when we talk about digital cohort, um, we're talking about kind of like a MOOC setting, so where they're collaborating with each other, maybe they're sharing in some sort of social platform, uh, some option along those lines, or some type of blended uh, solution. So, um, you know, Carrie and Joy, I know as we uh, have been working over this, you were moving to virtual uh, even over the last year and a half that we've been working with. Joy, maybe just as we're letting the uh, uh, results come in, maybe you could talk a little bit about Edward's uh, transition or focus on virtual, you know, kind of what, what led Edward's to go that direction? Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, we really do both. I think there's a, a time and a place for both in-person and virtual learning. Um, our sales team has to become very clinically proficient so they spend a lot of time face-to-face um, -face with trainers, one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Um, but when we get beyond new hires and um, into people that need further development, um, it, it becomes difficult to bring them out of the field and bring them in-house for a training course, um, especially when it's something that uh, that's developmental and not necessarily required for the job. So virtual training um, has really allowed us to uh, offer some things that that people may not otherwise get trained on at all. Um, and even for our new hires, we like some virtual offerings that can give us that consistency of message. Um, even though they're getting this wonderful one-on-one -on -one training every day, they may not be getting the same training across the board. So we can use our virtual offerings to level set everyone to the same standards. And that's been really powerful for us as well. That's great. So even before travel restrictions and others, there were drivers around really trying to minimize time out of the field and access and consistency of message. It sounds like to those were you know kind of some of the more traditional drivers around virtual. And now we're and we're, we'll talk about this. I'll launch this poll in just a second. But Carrie, I'm curious uh, from an ABM perspective, as we launched uh, you know sales coaching in a virtual yeah. environment, what what led to that decision? Um, first. <laughs> First and foremost, it was probably cost, right? It is so incredibly expensive to bring everybody together. Um, the cost of travel and, and supporting that as well as their time out of the field. And I'd also echo what Joy says about the consistency, the continuity, kind of the, 
sustainability, if you will, of the training is much better in a virtual environment we're finding. Um, so, so cost being our biggest driver, but the more we dug into it, um, there's a lot of other factors that we feel um, virtual is going to be much more supportive of. That's great. Well, I'm going to end this poll here, and it'll be in interesting. I'll share the results. Um, so by a, a, a pretty large margin, so 52% uh, prior to COVID were doing mostly instructor-led. So when we consider that kind of in-classroom or, you know, live sessions or a blended, and if we add those two together, you know, we're over 80%. We're probably doing some component in the classroom, about 10% in the BILT, 7% uh, on demand and, you know, maybe 2%. And some of these, you know, they're not mutually exclusive, um, but I think we can see a strong preference to, uh, to ILT and probably not that, uh, not that surprising in terms of, you know, the pre-COVID world. People sure. were trying virtual, but in, I think in both of your cases, you were also doing instructor-led as well, right? Yeah, I think there's something too, especially in sales, right? That face-to-face -face element that, um, that we all, I think, lean towards with the instructor-led. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm a facilitator. I love being in the classroom. There's nothing like being there and really immersing yourself, um, but it's not always possible. And, you know, especially these days as we're looking at uh, travel and, and work from home, you know, getting creative. So I'm going to launch a second poll here. And again, we'll just get the, the heartbeat of the group, but this will be really interesting to look at what is it, what does it look like now? So if we're looking at over the next 12 months, what do you expect to be the primary mode for delivering sales training? And uh, we'll compare that with the previous results, but uh, really curious to see, you know, what, what that looks like um, for, for Carrie and Joy, you know, I'm curious, um, has that changed for you uh, since you started even already in a virtual world? But Joy, maybe you could go first there. How, how has that changed for you? Sure. Yeah, I laugh because my world has been flipped upside down by this COVID. Um, my role was a lot around these development programs and um, just making sure that our field-based trainers um, had the tools and the consistency they needed. Um, but our team has not been able to do that field-based training at all lately. So um, that training, a lot of it occurs in hospitals. So, you know, for obvious reasons, um, that's been pretty much shut down. Uh, and so I do training calls, virtual instructor-led training calls for my new hire team every day now. Um, and that's gotten to be quite a lot. So uh, I hope that over the next 12 months, while we still continue to do virtual instructor-led training for some of these development programs that we can get back to more of a state of normal for, uh, for our new hires getting some of the stuff that's necessary to be done face-to-face, -face, uh, done that way again. Yeah, absolutely. One, I think that's very consistent from what we're hearing with our, our other clients as well. How about you, Carrie? What, how's that changed for you in the last few months? I'm in the same boat, I think, not just with Joy, but with probably every single person on this call, right? The, the idea of instructor-led, at least in the short term in the next six months, just isn't, isn't going to happen for us. Um, and, and we have found um, that we're building off of the virtual training that we had put in place prior to COVID and that we're having some success in leveraging those instructor-led classes and kind of converting those to virtual. I would imagine that this is going to be the pathway for us. I would still like there to be some element of instructor-led. I do think there's benefits to bringing people together in person, but that's not going to be the norm for us going forward. Well, and I think we're all kind of scratching our head going, well, what does yeah. that look like? And when you get yeah. that classroom time, 
how do we use that most effectively? I mean, that's going to be at a premium if we're, you know, thinking about conference rooms, changing the setup, you know, thinking about flying groups together and, and the added expense and, and challenges with that. So absolutely, I think even blended then becomes a, a different scenario. So I'm going to end this poll as well. Um, again, really fascinating. I appreciate everybody participating. We have a very large group here today. Uh, and so we kind of flipped here, right? So we had 53% that were doing primarily instructor-led. Now we have 51% doing BILT up from just 9% uh, pre-COVID. And then I think the other, you know, uh, blended, uh, some combination of those also um, is, is going up a little bit, 29 to 35%. And even e-learning and on-demand, you know, growing from 7% to 11%. So maybe using some more videos. But I think really the, the biggest takeaway for me uh, is, and not surprisingly, that instructor-led, we just can't do it, at least if we're looking at the next 12 months. Um, so how do we do that through some other mechanism of virtual, blended, uh, and e-learning? Really interesting. So thanks, everyone, for, for participating. So let's talk about a little bit more... Uh, Carrie and Joy, in terms of your situations, um, you know, you decided there were drivers for that. This was even pre-COVID to moving to virtual. Uh, and Carrie, maybe you could go first this time. What were some of the challenges you encountered uh, moving to virtual? You know, what were some of the things that uh, that you had to overcome to make that successful? Sure. Um, we have a very small sales training staff um, of less than one person. So that, that was... <laughs> That, that drove a lot of questions. Um, and then moving to a virtual environment, you know, it's, it's not as simple as just, okay, we're going to offer the same in-classroom content now virtually, right? There's a whole level of talent and expertise to really put together a well-done virtual learning environment. Um, and we just didn't have that. We didn't have that in-house. So one of our biggest challenges was to look for that. Um, and once you start looking outside, there's a tremendous amount of information out there. So trying to sort through um, the partners to work with, you know, companies like SRG to work with, to try and find what's the right fit, and also identify what are the right technologies that we need to put in place to make this really effective. So those two things um, uh, were the challenges at first and continue to be challenges that we're trying to improve upon. Sure. Yeah, I think uh, often these things are not things that you just check off and go, okay, well, we satisfied that. <laughs> but but right. I mean, even in the classroom, right, we're always struggling to make it more engaging, to make practice more appealing, to uh, increase collaboration. I think that continues. Joy, how about you? What were some of the things that, uh, that you saw that you had to overcome in the virtual environment? Yeah, um, our, our sales force is very busy. It's really hard to pull them away. Um, for even virtual instructor-led training because um, just getting their attention at a computer screen can be really tough. And uh, sales reps are sales reps. No one wants to sit and look at a computer. <laughs> um, they don't. And so making it really engaging, um, things like using Zoom and having breakout rooms have really helped with that challenge a lot. In fact, um, when we have done calls on um, I don't want to plug Zoom too much, but other platforms without right. the ability to do virtual breakout rooms, our engagement has been a lot less. So just doing those little things that make it feel more like an in-person where we can see each other's faces, um, see who's paying attention, um, break people out so they can, instead of just passively listening, spend some time engaging, spend time practicing. Um, 
you know, if we need to do role plays, they can do that safely in a small breakout room on their own instead of on a, a stage in front of a ton of people. All of those kinds of things have really helped to overcome that biggest challenge that we've had. No, that's great. And it's interesting because there was a, a comment in the chat about practice, right? That, that virtual, and people often think of virtual just being a webinar versus, as you mentioned, if you're using mm -hmm. chats and you can have them actually practice, they can do that role play or they can break out into a triad and, and practice some of the skills. And we think the space learning aspect of, well, if it's a weekly or ongoing, go practice that skill, come back and talk about it. And guess what? We're going to call on you, right? We're yeah. going to call you out and you're going to be expected. And I mean, I love, and we're going to get to sponsorship and leadership next, but when there are senior people that are paying attention and are interested and in fact, are even on the calls to say, no, I want to hear how this works. Um, all of a sudden, the, the application goes way up in, in our experience. So I think um, you both, and we'll talk about that next, but you both have, have really demonstrated that well with your leadership team. So really good. And we'll talk about, there's a question about um, culture shift. And I think we'll get to that because I think it, um, it really encounters a bunch of different things we're going to talk about or, or addresses a bunch of those things. Um, around leadership and communication and engagement. So I want to keep that kind of as a placeholder as we go forward. But I think it is interesting and, um, you know, thinking about, well, what are some of the challenges we can overcome? What comes up as we're making this shift? And how do we address it? And one of them really is around sponsorship and, and communication. So um, I'd love to hear from both of you. And Joy, we'll, we'll start with you this time if we can. Um, how did you build the sponsorship for virtual training and get people on board to even think about it, to support it? And I would say just fantastic support from the leadership team at Edwards um, that we really appreciate as a partner. But, you know, how did that come about and what did you do to help build some of that? So I never start a new training initiative um, without being asked to do so by our leadership um, that's a surprising, maybe radical idea because certainly everyone is thinking to themselves right now, what if they don't know what needs to be trained on? How can you just wait for them? Um, and this is where a little bit of salesmanship comes in. Um, first of all, I would argue that they know better than I do certainly what their own teams need. So, um, talking to them and asking questions, finding out what they need and then offering a solution to meet their needs, um, works every time when they have that buy-in and when they feel like they're co-leading it with you there's no need to build that sponsorship um obviously for things like regulatory and policy training you know we just i don't even involve them i just say like here's some modules that your people need to do on the LMS, right. like get it done but for programs like around leadership we involve them in the nomination process and designing out who should be nominated and really make it their idea um, just like you would in any sale you develop that need. And that's really worked well for us. No, I love that because it really does create the demand, right? So if you can have that sponsorship, they want it. And I think the flip side of that, and we've seen that where you're like pushing a, a huge boulder uphill saying, well, no, we think the organization needs this, but if there isn't the demand for it, uh, it, it really is challenging and you're not going to get the same kind of engagement and, and sponsorship that we've seen uh, mm -hmm. in, in your sessions. So no, great example. Carrie, how about you? I mean, just, uh, again, fantastic yeah. uh, leadership across the board. So how did that come about? No, I, I'm smiling because, you know, Joy and I, this is the first time we've met. We've had, haven't had a chance to talk about this stuff. And um, and mine is a similar story as to what she has. Um, I think she put it a lot more professionally when she said a little bit of salesmanship goes into it. But everything does 
originate with the leader's vision, right? So those sales leaders, it, it ties back to their vision. So if, if it comes straight from them, that virtual training, this is what we need, Carrie, this is absolutely, uh, we deliver. And sometimes it's, um, it's a kind of leading them down that path about how virtual training will give them exactly what they need. So no matter what initiative it is, whether it's training or something else in, in my world, um, connecting it back to the sales leaders and the business outcomes that they're driving, that's key for the success of any industry um, or initiative, I meant to say there. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say that uh, Joy also started to touch on a little bit is about the enthusiasm around it, because it's not just the leaders saying, um, you're going to have to do this, um, and that's how we're getting uh, participation. It's creating that enthusiasm and engagement at the front line, at the sales reps level. And a little bit of the way that we did that um, was making these very, the very first few classes very exclusive. You had to be nominated to be a part of it. Um, you had to be selected by a leader. There was a committee that was going to vote on you. So creating that excitement and the sense of exclusivity amongst the population, the audience that was going to take the class, and then just word of mouth between them. Are you going to take it? Are you in that class? You made it in. And just creating that kind of undercurrent. So it wasn't necessarily just top down driving the excitement and engagement, but it was really kind of organically trying to be driven from the bottom up. For lack of a better word, I don't think saying bottom up, but. Right. No, I, and I saw Joy smiling because we've had the very similar discussion and a very similar approach uh, in terms of getting that uh, sponsorship, the, the exclusivity related to those participants and yeah. making it a, something that you create some demand around, right? Back to the salesmanship part. Yeah, I don't think any of this is, um, it's not necessarily rocket science, right? Like, I don't think that Joy and I are going to probably tell people something that they haven't ever heard before, um, but just sometimes it's, it's easier to hear how people have actually actually got it done. So, yeah. Well, and the other thing I'll just add, because I think this has been a great example that we've seen from both the organizations that doesn't, isn't always the case, is we always ask if there's a senior leader who can kick off the program or say a few words, you know, be there. And sometimes that's either kind of half-hearted or it's really difficult to get that sponsor, you know, maybe because it's pushing a program uphill. And in both of your cases, having that senior leader kick off the program, say the words, and then participate and be engaged and be visible. And I think it sends such a message to the participants that, oh, this is important and we need to you know, take that time and we need to really lean into it. So um, again, I think that's really helped to set those programs up for success. That's great. Well, let's continue on here. Um, and I would encourage the audience, if you have suggestions or ideas as you come along, we'd love to hear them as well. You know, what have you done to help build the virtual leadership? We'll, we'll cover those uh, or, or build leadership for your programs and the sponsorship. Um, if you have ideas, love to have you collaborate with each other as well. Um, I see some really good comments as well from people saying, oh, great, great thoughts or ideas as these come up. So um, I, I think it's really uh, valuable to have the group participating the way they are. So thank you for that. So let's continue on here. Um, this is a huge topic, and I think one that, that's really important. We want to capture some of the best practices, which is how do you engage the learner in that virtual environment? It is different. Um, maybe they haven't been through this type of a program before. Uh, I will say the last couple of months have led people to turn their cameras on and, and probably log in a little easier than 
maybe previously, but you know, what have we done to engage? So, um, Carrie, we'll start with you this time. What are some of the tactics you've used to engage your learners in those virtual training? You know, how have you kept them involved and engaged uh, throughout? Um, it's, it's about utilizing the full um, the full availability of all the tools that you have for you and, and being creative, um, creative about things. You know, even for instructor led, you know, classroom type of training, there's nothing worse than someone standing in front of you uh, talking to PowerPoint slides for an hour. Um, and it certainly doesn't get any better if you try and do that in a virtual training environment. I mean, that's just it gives me uh, the queasies just thinking about it, right? So um, really making sure that you're doing, you're taking advantage of breakout rooms and assignments, you know, on their own beforehand or watch a video or um, have some live sessions. Utilizing video um, conferencing like Zoom is great, but don't overuse it either. Um, so it's just having a really good blend. And I think for us, um, having lots of recognition within the training has also been really important. Um, so we may have, we, we try and do smaller training sessions and then, um, and there might be some assignments in between training sessions. So really calling attention to who's living up to those challenges and what kind of leaderboards do we have and really kind of um, taking advantage of the competitiveness of salespeople um, to get them more involved and more personally connected to what it is we're trying to teach. No, that's great. And it actually ties into a comment from one of the participants. They asked about, well, how do you maximize attendance for e-learning and, and for virtual, I would say. And I know in your case, um, there, there was a great emphasis placed on kind of who was participating and who was going through weekly reports. And, and we yeah. were going through that. You know, I think it is both the carrot and the stick, but at least saying who's engaged and who's involved. And if they aren't, let's see, is this a problem that they don't have time? They don't care about it? or maybe they're not a good fit for this program. And, you know, if, if this is an exclusive club, they, you know, maybe that's not the right fit for them. So I think you can do a lot to maximize that as well. Um, and, yep. Uh, that, that can be really successful. There was another comment I just wanted to get back to from the group um, talking about in virtual tapping managers and leaders to lead the breakout rooms or to do some of those uh, small group discussions and one, it engages them, and it yeah. also leverages the audience and, you know, leverages the group a little bit more uh, to keep it on track. Because a facilitator, it's hard to pop in and out, you know, and, and monitor everything. So uh, I thought that was a great suggestion from Carrie. Thank you for that. So, Joy, um, how about in your case, you know, what, what have you seen? What else um, have you seen to engage the learners? Um, you know, it is it is amazing how uh, similar my journey and Carrie's has been, even though we've never talked. Um, we do a lot of homework. Um, people don't like that, but uh, but they do like it when the result of their homework is shared with their leaders um, or their leaders' leaders. Um, like Carrie, I really like to make sure to highlight people that are doing well. So after every training call, I kind of just mentally choose an MVP of the call and I email their boss and I copy the boss's boss um, and say, hey, this person really knocked it out of the park, was engaged. And I'll tell you, after that, they continue to be highly engaged once uh, once they're highlighted for that. Um, but just back to the homework, um, we ask them to come on with their cameras on and present back what they've learned sometimes. Um, we'll assign group work 
So you have a week to work on this together on your own and come back to us. And we find that a lot of the, the learning is really happening in those small group on your own sessions where they're having to struggle through an assignment together, figure things out together, and then come back. Um, no one wants to look dumb on a video conference. So they really do um, put a lot of effort into that. And there have been times when we've even recorded and shared their presentations nationally, when someone's knocked it out of the park and said, hey, all of our sales reps, even the really seasoned people, look at what this new person did. Um, watch this recording to learn something yourself. And that's, that's really encouraged other people to step up and try to be stars as well. Sure. It changes the whole dynamic, I think, when you're saying, no, we are paying attention and we want to recognize. We had a, a global client that in their small virtual groups, they had a rubric, right? So, so an evaluation, they get to evaluate each other on a peer level. And then those scores were aggregated and the top uh, learners essentially were flown back to corporate uh, to present in front of the executive team. Wow. You know, talk about a boom for those and the visibility and also the importance that that placed on the program. So I think that's, uh, that's really important. You know, Shivam uh, had, a, had a comment or question in the comments about how do you monitor if the participants actively engaged or is just uh, online without paying attention? And Joy, I think you touched on some of those, you know, calling on people or calling it out. But I'm curious if either, either of you have thoughts, you know, how do you make sure people are actually engaged during the session? I, beyond, you know, some there's some good instructional design advice out there that there has to be some level of engagement every five minutes on, a, on a, a webinar type of virtual learning. So giving them reason to contribute to the conversation, whether it's just they're going to click on an emoji or, or do something small, but at least every five minutes um, requiring some type of um, interaction. Love that. That's a great idea. Um, I might be a little bit cynical. I feel like the people, <laughs> people are going to be engaged or they're not. Um, obviously, we want to do everything we can on our end to, to give them the kind of environment where they can be engaged. But even in our most engaging environment, we'll find a couple people who are just checked out and uh, they get feedback. Uh, their bosses get feedback on that. And we try not to use the stick too often. But we have a sign-off process. We have a certification process. And um, if people aren't doing what needs to be done, um, they, they won't pass that. So, um, you know, people can fake engagement, but the people who are there to learn, it's pretty clear who they are. And, and we try to um, help those guys out and give them the best experience they can. Yeah, and I think that's similar to the live classroom, right? That there, you're going to have some hostages there, right? That are in the back <laughs> with their arms folded, and uh, that's just the way they are. And maybe you can draw them in, um, but you know you want to focus on the the majority of the group and moving them forward and doing the things. And I think virtual, especially keeping the small groups uh, or keeping the virtual groups small, so that you can encourage that engagement. You know. There's a place for 50, 100 person webinars where you're just broadcasting information. If you're talking about learning, I think you need to have a somewhat exclusive group that you're working with. And maybe that means you're doing multiple sessions, mm -hmm. but so you can call on people and you can see if they're participating. And at least when I facilitate it, I want them to know that, yeah, we're gonna call people out by name and we're gonna ask you to participate by chat or by uh, you know engagement 
And if not, you know, they're, they're going to be caught maybe flat-footed or if they're trying to multitask. So I think there's some tricks you can do for that. Joy, go ahead. I'd love to add one more thing to that. And that is peer pressure is amazing. So, you know, giving those small group work assignments that they do outside yeah. of the classroom and asking them to work in pairs or triplets. If there's one slacker in that group, the rest of the group is going to bring them into the fold as much as they can. And that, that pressure seems to work a little bit better than when we try to do it ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think actually Kate had a comment in the chat here as well about um, having them show and demonstrate, as you both mentioned, a, an exercise or an activity to see what good looks like and highlighting that. So again, you're kind of encouraging that participation as a really, really good way to, you know, highlight them and also call attention to them. So there's a question about ideal class size. I mean, I know, I think in both of your cases, we've kept them relatively small, 12 to 15 participants. Um, you know, there are different schools of thoughts there and depending on the size and the facilitators and the, the group. But um, is that, you know, in your experience, does that work pretty well, that, that kind of class size for virtual? And I'll ask Carrie first on that. Yes, yes. I've, uh, in recent times, you know, with um, post COVID um, and, and having a lot of demand, trying to, we, we played around with trying to make class sizes a little bit bigger. Um, and it just made me realize that 12 to 15, for us at least, 12 to 15 is the right size. Mm -hmm. Joy, any other experiences with that? Same, same here. Um, I think there's a time and a place for all different kinds of training, though, just like e learning, um, which is just very passive, right? Uh, you can put that out to as many people as you want. We do occasionally calls with hundreds of people if it's just something we need to give information. Like here's just something, a new policy you need to understand. But if we really want someone to practice a new skill, there's no way to do that passively. There's no way for someone to take on a new behavior passively. We have to get engagement. And so that, that 15 person limit really works best for that too. I think that's a really good distinction. And we're finding, a, a lot of interest in doing larger group sessions to introduce a topic or, you know, hey, let's just talk about sales coaching in a virtual world. You know, what does that look like? Great webinar topic, and maybe we can have some chat and discussion, but it's not training. And so yeah. we shouldn't confuse the two and we shouldn't think that we're gonna have a hundred people and try to do skill application and actually improve as a result of that. We're gonna expose them and then hopefully there's some follow-up to take away from that. So right. no great idea. Um, I just wanted to cover uh, kind of an, a, an example here, and I think we've used this type of approach in both of your situations, but the idea of blended learning, and it's something that we're also building out in a, in a new platform to say, you know, even if it's in the classroom or it's virtual or video, you're delivering the content in an engaging way, but it's probably the other uh, items on this chart that are really important, which is what are they doing after the session? So they're doing some sort of field work, they're doing some sort of an assignment, um, getting them together in a cohort group to collaborate. So like we were talking about the small groups, the activities, the practice, and in some cases that means they're doing that socially so that they're able to, you know, with a social platform, engage with each other, um, Teams and, and Slack and, and other ways that they can keep it alive afterwards. And then having access to the tools and the resources and as you all mentioned, you know, some sort of activity that says we're completing the program or we're, you know, there's an outcome. Joy, maybe you could talk a little bit about with your leadership development program. You know, what does that mean to go through that program and what are you getting out of that at the end? That, that's a great example of how we, we really do blended learning. Um, 
we try to, for this select group of sales reps and clinical specialists, give them a year-long immersive program that has so many different touch points um, that work for not only all the different types of learning styles, but that meet all the different types of needs for a, a leadership development program. So, um, you know, one of the biggest needs that we heard when we did needs assessment for this program was that people feel sometimes like an island out there in the field and aren't sure what's going on in-house or um, they don't have a lot of exposure to their leadership. So we've built in some opportunities for those people to fly in-house and have meetings with some high-level key stakeholders. Um, and then we have lots of opportunities for them to socialize with our um, executive leadership teams. When we have a sales meeting, we'll have a special happy hour for this group um, to mix and mingle with leadership. So that's kind of the in-person um, touch points. Then we have our training calls um, with the SRG team, and that gets the sort of skill development going, the knowledge, um, and some of the live cohort stuff. And then we ask them to do live mentorship outside of the program as well to apply those skills and get direct feedback on them um, on a day-to-day -day basis. And so that holistic approach has been really good for our team um, to keep touch points throughout the year, but not have it feel overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and we're gonna transition and talk a little bit about measurement here and then take some questions. But Carrie, I know in your case, the program was also let's cover the foundation, in that case, sales coaching, but you know the foundation, the skills, what do we need to do? And then how do we apply that? Can you talk a little bit about what did that mean for them to go out and apply those skills that they were learning in, in, the, uh, in the training program? Um, it, it, that was the, probably the most important part. And, and for me, I, I was very concerned that they wouldn't do it, right? Like I was worried about, okay, if I let you know, as, as new to virtual learning, if I let go of them, right, they're out of my, they're not in my classroom, I let go of them, are they going to do what they're supposed to do? And so it was a, a surprise and a good surprise about how that just naturally occurred, right? They applied the knowledge and were able to do so in a very meaningful way um, and, then, and then come back to their next cohort session with some real takeaways and some really discussion points. That was great. Um, and so then being able to leverage that um, for, for metrics, right, is, 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 you know, how did they continue to adopt those behaviors outside of the, the learning sequence? So, Right. No, and I think that in, in your case, and in fact, I'll just move, <clears throat> uh, move to this slide. Um, love to talk about that because I know you also were able to see um, some really good examples on, you know, kind of measuring. Measurement is, is a you know, challenging in any type of a training environment, right? Different levels of, of measurement. What are you trying to accomplish? But in your case, and I know we were chatting a little bit before, you were talking about, well, one of the key outcomes you were looking for around coaching, you were able to measure. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, so a key outcome for us was, was, are you actually doing the coaching, right? Like the, just something very, very simple. Um, so trying to say, you know, how are you adopting this? And we were able to take, um, the, the processes and the procedures that we were instructing people on as far as coaching and then integrate those into our CRM into salesforce.com. Um, and we were able to see, okay, we can see how, how many times they're coaching, what they're coaching about. Um, are they doing the co-assessment? Do they have this tool? Are they maintaining the right cadence? And, um, and be able to connect that um, to 
the different activities that the salesperson, a new salesperson is doing, the, the results, their pipeline. And um, although it's not finished now, we're, we're drawing all those conclusions now. So being able to take all those data points um, and really connect them back. Again, going back to the original sponsorship of those sales leaders saying, hey, we really need this and here's why. Um, being able to prove this back out to them that we're, we're doing the right things. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, there was such a strong foundation, even going back to the initial study, if I remember correctly, of, hey, if we do more coaching, we uh, the hypothesis is we'll see better business results. So let's right. start with doing more coaching and, and doing good coaching. And what does that look like? And then that being the first measure, uh, you know, of progress towards the end. So yeah. I think that's really really positive. Joy, how about in your case, and I know, in, in, and I'll say in both of your situations, these are work in progress, right? The programs are still ongoing. You're still looking at the participants, but what were some of the things you were looking to measure uh, and outcomes you were looking for uh, from your LDP and CLDP program? Sure. I mean, um, I want to acknowledge that that I'm fortunate to have uh, leadership support for training in general, and so I realized that the challenges may be different for others that need to prove sort of an ROI for training or like a financial cost benefit. Um, I think good leaders know that you want to train your people, um, but but again, acknowledging not everyone's in that situation. Um, but I but I am fortunate to be there. So my um, my measurements have really just been around whether people feel um, engaged in the program and feel that they're getting a benefit out of it. We've been very careful, actually, to not tie um, our leadership programs to promotion, um, just because we don't want to give the impression that it's a, you know, check the box, you did the program, and you get promoted. Um, so we frame it as um, gaining skills that will help you in the role that you currently have and in future roles you may have someday. However, um, I, I don't usually publicize this uh, factoid out there, but we have noticed um, just internally that the people that have gone through the programs are promoted at a much higher rate than those that have not. Um, I think over 50% of our, our participants in these programs have gone to the next level, and that would be from salesperson to sales manager or from a clinical specialist to a salesperson role. So um, I think, you know, the, the field knows that our, our potential future participants see that kind of success happening and that's part of what makes them clamor to be participants themselves and and to be so highly engaged someday when they are no i think that's a that's a great example and yeah it, it's not as easy to say oh well we we're going to get this specific business outcome but what are those things along the way that you're looking to accomplish and in your case you know if that results in the promotion obviously that's a huge win but starting with, are they engaged? Are they learning? Do they like it, <laughs> right? Are they applying the new skills? Um, some of those outcome measures. So um, no, great great input uh, and, and thoughts around that. So I wanna make sure we have some time for, for questions and answers. And I was just looking, I think we have some that have already come up. Um, so I wanted to, to clarify, and there were a couple of things, and then we'll uh, open it up for some more questions. But one was, I used the term cohort session. And so, I mean, we've kind of defined that as an opportunity to get together and collaborate around a topic. That's not a traditional, hey, we're gonna present uh, learning, we're gonna present curriculum, but we're going to have a topic and come together and say, all right, let's talk about that coaching call you had. Everybody bring an example, what were some challenges? So it really gives an opportunity for them to collaborate in a safe environment. 
uh, and have that discussion. So that's one of the things that, that we're doing using that. Somebody asked about another, and this is a technology tool, but a QStream or another app for rankings. And I think there are lots of different ways to use uh, technology to support this with leaderboards, um, you know, with some of the virtual and, and cohort-based uh, training platforms that are out there. But I think it can also be reports and email. And I think in, in both cases with, with you all, you've done that. I mean, get it right manually first. Who's participating? How are they doing? Calling attention to it um, before you try to automate or bring a tool in. I don't know if either of you have comments on that, but uh, I'm curious about, you know, how have you helped to get that success and the leaderboard idea or the progress you mentioned uh, along the way? Any, any comments on that? I would say I'm always a proponent of, you know, people process then technology. Mm -hmm. So um, having the, having that in place first, um, I, I, I really don't have a large budget for technology. If I'm being honest with you and everyone on the call, that's not my thing. So um, I need to put it together with, you know, w what I have. So, um, and it can be done. It's still effective. Um, it's just maybe, maybe not as pretty, but, but it still really works. Right. Right. No, I think that that's a great way to think of it. Enjoy probably similar to your situation. Yeah, I mean, I think that works better, even when you do have a budget that would allow for technology. Um, I see a lot of uh, rookie mistakes being made by choosing technology first and then thinking about content later. The content is king. If you got to have the experts training you. You have to have people that know what they're talking about and know how to teach others training you. And then you can worry about whether it's on Zoom or Teams or, you know, Adobe Connect. It's um, it, that's the that's the way to do it. Just hands yep. down. No, absolutely, and especially if you keep the groups relatively small and you can manage. I mean, one of the things we're seeing is you need some facilitation and moderation outside of just the training session. But you need, as both of you have done, to cultivate that group, right? To keep it alive. Maybe that is the weekly reminder or an email question or getting them to participate in some type of discussion in between so you keep the learning alive. And I don't think you can automate all of that. I, I think you need to get that right first, as you said, getting the people in the process part, Carrie, uh, before the technology. And you so. know, there's a, there's a non-technology way to do this that benefits everyone. Um, I get sort of sub-trainers who are people that are more experienced in the field that want to develop themselves and, and spotlight themselves as leaders, ask them to help you um, and then congratulate them broadly for having done so and, and highlight them back. So um, if I have 30 people I'm training right now that all need to get trained, we might do these bigger sessions and then farm them out to these other trainers. Like, okay, take your homework and go report out to somebody else. And then I'm getting five reports from, from those people instead of 30 from each of the, each of the trainees. And, um, and it's good for everyone. People out there want a chance to showcase themselves and volunteer for your training department. Really they do. No, that's great. And what a great way to leverage other resources and, and get them involved. So, that's wonderful. Well, I think we have a few minutes for questions. So if you do have a, a question, feel free to add it to the Q&A box. There's one that I thought's interesting because uh, it, it kind of goes a little bit beyond our agenda, but I think it's also interesting from both of your organization's perspectives. And it's from Victor and he asked about, how do you manage customer relationships in a virtual world? So I think it's something we're all thinking about a little bit further. In my view, 
a lot of the things we've talked about here apply to our customers as well, right? Engaging in an environment, um, using video, you know, kind of leaning in. But I'm curious if there's anything that comes to mind for either of you about how you're leveraging technology uh, to work virtually with your customers. Joy, if I could put you on the spot, anything that, uh, that you can share about uh, you know, how to engage with your customers these days? It's really tough when our customers are physicians um, with COVID to, to, inter- to engage virtually. So I will punt on that question um, a little. My, my focus tends to be more on our, my customers, which are our salespeople. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I wish I had a great answer for that. I'm sorry. No, and I think getting access is, a, is really challenging these days, right? Uh, with all of the additional uh, regulations and, and challenges on top of that. Um, Carrie, how about you in, in your situation? I, I would just offer the bit of advice that I would offer is it's, it's good advice always when you're engaging with your clients or your prospects to make them those engagements as, as, as personal and as meaningful as possible, but even more so, I think, in the, the virtual world. Um, making good use of video and knowing how to do that right. Just a few simple tips of making sure you have a professional background, that you're dressed professionally. You know, you might have shorts and flip-flops on like I do right now, (laughs) but none of you can see it. And that is the most important part. So, um, you know, making sure that you you maintain that professionalism. um, And after we've all been, you know, in this situation for a few months, it can start to wear. So um, making sure that you're utilizing the tools in the best possible way and connecting as deeply as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that the fact that you all are doing training, using the platforms and getting your sellers, in this case, comfortable with that is also a benefit with the customer because mm-hmm. I think we do want to be at the forefront of leveraging the technology and connecting in a different way because we can't just do a drive-by or we can't just show up on site these days uh, so we need every connection, I think, is even more important. And the better and more comfortable they are in the technology, I think the, the better off they'll be in that virtual selling environment uh, if they can leverage that, <laughs> if they can get people to to attend. So, um, Alonzo, I'm going to go ahead and shift over. Um, I know there are probably a few other questions. I don't know if any others came in. Uh, if you, We'd like to open it up if there are. Um, but first off, I guess just as we're wrapping up, Carrie, Joy, I'd just like to thank you so much for uh, your participation and insights and wisdom. I mean, a really fun topic. Obviously, we hit on a number of themes that were very similar, uh, as you said, even though um, you you two hadn't really collaborated. But uh, it's really interesting to see how your organizations and personally how you see the learning and development world and and helping your salespeople and sales managers and leaders uh, to be successful. So fantastic discussion. Alonzo, I'll turn it back over to you. Uh, thank you again. Fantastic, Ray. And the first thing I'm going to say is to the audience, we have hundreds of comments in the chat. If you submitted a question in the chat, please do me a favor and copy and paste your question if we haven't uh, answered it yet in the Q&A box. That's going to save me an hour of my time. I will highly appreciate it as I'm currently having some lack of sleep. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, um, we'll start with a question here from, let's see, oh my God, Uh, a quick note. We may not be able to uh, answer all your questions today, but we can guarantee you that we're very committed to do it but maybe as a follow-up post or something like that. So you will mm-hmm. be getting an answer from us that uh, we, we promise you. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So 
We have a question from Melissa. To, maxim to maximize and enrich sessions, are people using a flipped classroom approach? If so, has it been successful? And then for those who are maybe not familiar with flipped classroom means, you know, you do the knowledge, the learning on your own, and then you come in to meet life to collaborate and do the assignments. Uh, who wants to go take that one? Sure, yeah. Carrie, uh, is that something you've used? Yeah. I, I know in, well, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we're using it. Um, like I said, we've tried, we're trying to do, ship some of our in-classroom learning to virtual. Um, one of those is our onboarding class for our newest hires. Um, and we are using that technique of flipped classroom um, for that onboarding session. So giving them assignments, things to read, uh, videos to watch, um, and some, some work associated with that, and then coming back um, to that uh, virtual learning session with that information and having to report out or explain. And uh, we find it's a, it's a much better use of time. Um, it's a lot easier to keep people engaged that way than it is if they were to have to sit through a virtual learning platform and just listen to the facilitator dump information on them. So right. Flip Classroom works really well for virtual, I think. That's great. And Joy, how about, how about in your case? Yeah, I have a mantra that everyone on my team knows, and that is if you are speaking for more than five minutes without needing the any feedback or participation, film it and send it out. We don't do <laughs> lectures um, virtually. We do interactions virtually. So we, we definitely encourage folks, even if it's a cheap, well, like poorly done video, record yourself, send it out, let people watch it, and then let's come back and learn together. Oh, love that. And, you know, that I, I know that came up recently on, on one of our calls, but the idea of that practice and now that everybody has a phone, they can record video, we can make it a low risk situation instead of putting them on the spot, they can record it, they can send it in. Now they're doing learning on their own and they're likely to practice it more often. Right. Uh, as part of that. So I think you can uh, bring that into a flipped classroom type scenario. And what's interesting, Carrie, even as you were describing that, I was thinking, Flip classroom traditionally, at least we would think of watch videos and then come together in person and do a live session. Well, if that's not a possible, you can still flip the classroom where you're getting the content in advance, but then it's a virtual live classroom to practice the skills and, and talk about it and troubleshoot. Um, so a combination of e-learning and virtual as opposed to e-learning and in person as a way of flipping the classroom. Yep. Yeah, so no, great, great example. So Alonzo, back to you. The market is changing, making sales skills more important than ever before. How to transform your team into peak performers? If you want the answer, plus free resources for podcast listeners, visit salesreadinessgroup.com slash podcast. <laughs>